You're listening to the Investing.com's weekly crypto podcast with your host, Clément Thibault. Hello, everyone. I'm Clément Thibault, and welcome to Investing.com's weekly crypto podcast, Cryptoc. Uh, we're getting to, uh, we're over with the first third of January, and it's uh, February 10th. And uh, we're going to talk this week about the news and everything that happened in the past week. Uh, so we're here to really give you a summary of the news and what's been going on. And also to kind of help you analyze them and, and form an opinion on them as well. So that's what we're going to be doing today as well. So I'm glad that you're here with me. And let's move on to the topics of this week. All right. So this week we have a few interesting topics for you. Uh, we're going to be talking about Canadian exchange Quadriga CX that filed for creditor protection in Canada. Now, apparently uh, the CEO died and he was the only one that had uh, the private keys to access the cold storages and the recovery password. So uh, 190 million Canadian dollars appear to be lost. And we're going to be looking at the facts of this case and see, uh, see what we think of it. Uh, the second thing this week is a report on ICOs by ICO Bench, which is an ICO rating website. So they released it for Q4 and we got some insights on the year itself. And it shows that ICOs are not quite dead yet. Uh, you know, I thought that they would raise a lot less funds than what they did. So we're going to be talking about numbers and all that stuff. And lastly, we're going to talk about Google's and Facebook's moves into cryptocurrency and into blockchain so facebook already has a 40 people team of blockchain engineers working on blockchain solutions google is also being active and it has developed uh, tools to analyze the bitcoin and ethereum blockchain transaction data so we're going to be talking about what do they want and what they're aiming to create with those blockchain tools and all the cool stuff that they have maybe on the way all right, so let's get moving and let's talk about Quadriga CX, which is a very, very curious and interesting case. All right, so let's talk about Quadriga. So first of all, before I start, let me emphasize the fact that I'm just asking questions. I think there's a lot of things that we don't know yet. I wasn't there when things happened. So I'm putting things together from report I read, from documents I've seen, and I'm not, you know, I don't have the authority on this. I don't know what the truth is. There's just a lot of unanswered questions that I want to get to. So first of all, Quadriga, the Canadian exchange, they filed for uh, protection uh, with the Supreme Court of Nova Scotia because they had liquidity problems and the platform is being closed. Now, one of the reasons why they had liquidity problems and general problems is because Gerald Cotton, the CEO, died in India and he was the only one with control of the recovery password and, and the password for his computer, which was encrypted. And so he was the only one with access to funds in cold wallets of the exchange. And since he died, you know how cryptocurrency works. If you don't have the pass, if you don't have the passphrase, if you don't have the password, there's very, very little you can do. So now Quadriga owes uh, about 115,000 people. So that's a lot of people that are, you know, that had funds on the exchange, about 190 million in, in both fiat and crypto. So all this money is apparently gone because the CEO died and there is no way to recover the funds in the cold wallets. Now, there are a few questions and, and a few things that don't necessarily line up. And that's why I wanted to talk about this today, because it's a very, very interesting case. So first of all, there's, there are questions. People are questioning whether the CEO really died. 
And this is very unfortunate to talk about in case, you know, he, he had Crohn's disease, so that's documented. So I really, you know, it's no disrespect to the family, obviously. Of, of course, not on my part. But some people ask if he actually died. So there were a couple of, of documents floating around, including a death certificate from India. Uh, but it's a death certificate from India, and uh, the name is misspelled on the death certificate. So a lot of people are still questioning whether that's you know a mistake what happened there and why is the death certificate not saying the proper name so that's the first thing now this is important because apparently uh, there are traces of movements from exchange wallets to other wallets even after the ceo died so the ceo has reportedly reportedly died uh, on december 9th Right. But until mid-January, there were still movements relating to the wallets of the exchanges. Now, the, it's possible that those were, you know, hot wallets that the wife had access to. But if you're claiming to have lost everything, it's kind of weird that, you know, coins are still moving. And then since mid-January, nothing. So it's, it's kind of suspicious in the way that it happens. And then the third thing is that the CEO's wife said that most of the assets were moved to cold, to cold storage, but there was an analysis from the, blog, from the blockchain firm Elementus, and they couldn't find any offline wallets with Ether that belonged to Quadriga. So that's, that's kind of a perfect storm of things that don't really align, and that, you know, they, they raise a lot of questions. We're talking about a lot of money on the line, a failing exchange, you know, a lot of people are not that quick to label this as, you know, just business, the cost of doing business. A lot of people think that this was just an elaborate exit scam that involved someone faking their death to actually get away with it. So, you know, it's it's really hard and crypto kind of turns you into that guy that, you know, is, is very distrustful of others because, you know, the entire point of crypto a lot of time is don't trust verify. So I think that a lot of people have taken this very, very hard and are very quick to, to judge on this. And, and it's important to be sensitive because at the end of the day, there, there is still a family involved and there are still people who cared about, you know, that Gerald Cotton, the CEO, you know, we still had a family and everything. So it's, it's, we still need to be sensitive when we're talking about this, even though there are evidence of some wrongdoing in a way. But I guess that this will come to light uh, a little later. So this actually happened before the previous podcast, but we had so little detail that I didn't even want to talk about it. So I saved it for this week where a lot of things came to light and we have a lot more detail about what happened. So that definitely uh, remains to be seen. I think that uh, today it's been published that the Canadian Secu Securities Regulator is actually looking into Quadriga. So they, there is going to be an investigation of what happened and how it happened. So I'm sure that we'll get more details. And so I'm hopeful that in the coming weeks, uh, we'll actually get to see what happened and we'll actually get the truth and the truth will come out. But this is very, this is crypto drama at its best. And it's been on Twitter all week and it's been covered in even, you know, traditional news outlets. It's not just a crypto thing. It's still a lot of money that's been gone. So I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll actually get answers in the coming weeks. All right, so that's that for uh, Quadriga, and uh, let's move on to the ICO bench report. And ICOs are doing better than I thought, so let's move on to that. All right, so it's time to put the Quadriga drama behind us, and hopefully again we'll get the truth and move to the ICO bench report. 
which is very interesting because it sheds some light on the ICO industry today. And we know that, you know, 2017 was crazy. And 2018, we knew that it would decline, the traffic would decline and everything would decline. And I predicted myself that ICOs would die into 2019 and that we wouldn't see any more of them. Well, according to this data, I might be wrong. So the number of ICOs completed in Q4, according to the report, actually went up and there were 594 ICOs completed. Now, this doesn't say that they were successful. That just means that they were completed. Those are the ICOs that happened. Uh, of these, actually 35% raised money. That means that basically one of three managed to raise some fund for the project and uh, two thirds didn't. And that number is down from 38% in Q3. That means that as time goes on, it's harder for an ICO to actually get access to money. And the best performance by ICOs was uh, very unsurprisingly in Q4 of 2017, when 47% of ICOs, I mean, one out of two actually managed to get you know their hands on money, which was a lot. But even though the, su the success rate is pretty low, uh, they still managed to raise $1.4 billion in, 20, uh, in 2018, in the fourth quarter of 2018, and an average of $6.7 million per project. Now, the average of funds is also in decline. So it's not, you know, they're raising less money than they were, even though we have to take into account the fact that prices dropped a lot more and that public interest seemed to have dropped a lot more. So overall, I'd say it's not a very bad performance uh, from ICOs. Now, the platforms, because, you know, there's Ethereum, there's EOS, there's Tron. There's a lot of platforms that claim to be a platform to issue tokens on. But Ethereum is definitely still uh, the leader in that regard. And 88% of ICOs were raising funds on the Ethereum network. So it's still very much top dog. Now, another interesting thing that we get out of this report by ICO Bench is that ICOs, they last longer now. So back in early 2018, uh, an ICO would last for about 40 days. That was the time, about a month and a half. That was the time that they took to raise funds. And today uh, it has more than doubled. And in December, it was 88 days, the average length of an ICO. That means that teams feel the need to get more time to get more money in. So it's not as easy to raise funds. And if a project, you know, within the first two weeks were already at the soft or hard cap, it's not like that anymore. So that was for uh, the fourth quarter of the year. We have some numbers uh, on the year globally, if you're interested. So on the year, ICO raised about $23 billion. Uh, geographically, the USA leads uh, all ICOs, both by numbers of ICOs that were actually done in the country, but also by fund raised. So there were uh, $7.4 billion raised in the U.S. alone from ICOs, and those were from 436 ICOs that happened in 2018 in the U.S. Uh, Singapore, number two uh, in ICOs with 323, and the British Virgin Islands are number two by fund raised with $2.3 billion. Now, this isn't very surprising since the British Virgin Islands are known for their tax laws and for their corporate for their corporate laws, and it's known that a lot of uh, a lot of businesses kind of go there to for tax and regulations purposes, and so it won't surprise you to know that the Cayman Islands are the same, and the Cayman and ICOs registered in the Cayman Islands have raised one billion dollars in 2018. So yeah, so British Virgin Islands, Cayman Islands, kind of 
favorites, uh, crowd favorites when it comes to raising funds. Uh, on a quarterly basis, Singapore is now the top country because I think uh, the regulator in the U.S. is starting to scare a lot of people. And we see that a lot of businesses are closing their doors to U.S. customers because of regulations. So Singapore has overtaken the U.S. and the U.S. is now number three globally in ICOs after Singapore and Switzerland. So, yeah, ICOs, they are very surprising numbers. I mean, it's obviously on a decline and I think that people obviously have caught on to the fact that you know, many teams were using ICOs to just make a quick buck. But I still think that, you know, we're looking at Tron and BitTorrent. So they have a token sale right now. And you can still see that a lot of people are still falling for this. And a lot of people, I mean, I don't know if falling is the right word, but a lot of people are still interested in venturing into tokens and ICOs, even though, you know, from past experience, it wasn't the smartest thing. And unless you were in a bubble kind of environment when everything went up, you know, these projects a lot of times don't have individual value. So we'll keep an eye on it. And uh, when the next report comes out and we'll get a glimpse of what 2019 brings, uh, it'll be a good update maybe to the prediction. And maybe ICOs aren't going away. So that was interesting for me to learn. I hope it was interesting for you as well. And uh, let's move on to our third topic of today, which is uh, the involvement of Facebook and Google in the blockchain industry. <laughs> All right, so Google and Facebook, I think that whenever these two do anything, especially when it pertains to crypto, it's kind of worth keeping an eye on because obviously they are powerhouses today. They have all the money you could ask for to do things. And so they could have a very, very real impact on the ecosystem. So uh, last week, Facebook announced that it acquired Chainspace. It didn't exactly acquire it, but it kind of took the key members away from the project. But the interesting thing is that uh, we know that they've acquired Chainspace, but according to the information, that deal comes after Facebook had been in discussions with at least 12 startups uh, in crypto space. So it means that Facebook is really, really taking an interest in the space and really taking an interest in the startups and are looking to acquire. So uh, I don't know if you remember that, but a few weeks, maybe months ago, we talked about Basis, which was a stable coin uh, that didn't succeed. So Facebook actually was in talk to acquire them before the project failed. Sometimes in December, we also had uh, the news that Facebook is reportedly trying to develop a cryptocurrency to use in WhatsApp, the messaging app, to enable people to send uh, payments through WhatsApp, which would also be, you know, it would be huge news for a cryptocurrency if, if something in that scale and and the billion of people that have access to Facebook and to WhatsApp would be exposed to cryptocurrency. Now, I don't think that it would give the boost that people think it would because, you know, it would look and feel the same to the user. I mean, no one would be interested in cryptocurrency just in the fact that they can send money. But I think that it will expose a lot of people to what you can do and what is possible with cryptocurrency. And even though it will be centralized and even though, you know, it won't be cryptocurrency as you know it of a trustless, permissionless blockchain, but it will still maybe be, you know, an open door for people to come and get interested in it and how you transfer value natively over the Internet, which is what crypto, you know, is about. So that's Facebook. And that's interesting. And I think that they already have 40 people in their team. So 40 people working at not small salaries, obviously. I think they have a few million dollars every year of burning on blockchain and, and cryptocurrencies. So I'm really looking forward to see what comes out of, of this venture and if eventually Facebook brings us something or if it'll just go into failed development costs and that sort of stuff. Uh, Google, on the other hand, is also doing interesting things. 
And one of the things that it's doing is actually developing tools to search the blockchain. So it's something that is kind of hard to do right now. And if you want to use a block explorer to go trace transactions, it's not very easy. But Google with BigQuery is actually uploading the database of all the transactions that occurred on Bitcoin, Ethereum and more coins. And then you can search it and see what what address did what business with what address. And so it's very Google-like to index everything and then to make it searchable, right? That's like their bread and butter. What's interesting about that is that it really takes away a lot of the privacy that there is in owning Bitcoins. You know, when, when we're saying that Bitcoin is anonymous, well, it's not really. I mean, you could still trace uh, addresses and you could still see who did business with what. And that's why we have more privacy-oriented coins like Monero and Zcash. But... It's very Google-like to kind of strip away the privacy for something. That's kind of what I feel they're doing, you know. Uh, even though all the data is public and it would have been transparent anyway and it's not something that Google, you know, maliciously did to follow people. But I think that it's very appropriate for Google to be the one to create this sort of indexing mechanism that they're doing. So yeah, so Google is also trying to see how it can explore the blockchain and index the blockchain. And again, any involvement from big companies and big tech companies that have billions of dollars in cash to invest and they have, you know, big R&D teams and they have all that kind of stuff that eventually, you know, everyone can contribute to the ecosystem in a way or another. Now, of course, they're doing this, you know, for their own profits and, and Google and Facebook are not very big sharers of data. They're more gatherers of data, but I'm still hoping that something good can come out of it and more brain power on crypto and block more brain power on blockchain can actually eventually create something meaningful, even if it comes from Facebook or Google. Uh, all right, so now uh, I think we're done with uh, this week's three topics and let's move on to the outro. All right, like every week, thank you for being here. Uh, it's a pleasure to come and talk about and analyze the news about crypto. Now we're thinking of making a few changes to the podcast and maybe for it to include more interviews, uh, maybe bridging out of crypto a little bit since we're investing.com. We're thinking maybe it might be a good idea to have a more investing podcast and maybe have figures from the investing world come and talk to us here. And maybe that'll be more interesting uh, than just going over the crypto news. Uh, everything is still in development. So I'm just, you know, just telling you what we're considering doing because we want to hear your opinion. And I want to know what you would like to see more. Would you like to see more of this, more of crypto news, more of analysis regarding to crypto? Or would you like to see maybe more interviews with traditional figures from the investing world that can come and tell us about their views for the market and everything? So we don't have to stay just crypto. We could also move to be maybe more investing and more financial. So if you have any opinions on that and you're avid listeners of the podcast, please let us know so that we can you know, do the best uh, to give you the content that you're looking for. All right. Thank you. So you can look me up on Twitter at C-L-E-M-T-H-I-B-A-U-L-T, which is uh, a version of my name uh, for the comments. Or you can drop them on investing.com because this podcast is also uploaded to there. You can just search my name in the search bar on the website and you'll find it. All right. So that's it for this week. Again, thanks for being here and I'll see you next week.